Hey there, Revelation Wellness friends. This is Dana, your podcast editor, and we are so glad you're here for today's conversation with Elisa and psychiatrist, Dr. Kurt Thompson. Kurt is a well-respected voice who approaches his work from a sound Christian perspective, and the conversation he and Elisa have today will challenge you. They talk about the three reasons for suffering, even dipping into a new trend of lawnmower parenting. And Kurt challenges us to think about suffering in a new way, that it's not something to try and avoid, but something we can learn to contend with. Jesus says, take heart. We're all going to have trouble in this world. So let's learn how to be resilient when it happens. Training to be resilient is something we do around here. We're just weeks away from our new platoon of Revelation Wellness instructors forming. We believe training transforms lives. Head over to revelationwellness.org to learn how to become a Revelation Wellness instructor, where you'll get free and help set others free. Swipe up on the show notes for the link. Thanks again for being here. Peace. All right, Revelation Wellness community, this is happening. You guys have been asking for this guest for quite a while, so I don't know how bothersome (laughs) we have been to you and your your assistant, but... It has happened. Today is here. Dr. Mm. Kurt Thompson is Mm. with us on the Revelation Wellness Podcast. Mm. Kurt, welcome to the podcast. Well, it's, it's, uh, gosh, as I just said to you a moment ago, it's uh, it's an honor to be here. It's humbling to be here, to be invited into a space where people are really uh, uh, intentional and serious and joyful about following the king and it is uh and uh following the king is not easy to do it's not easy for me to do i don't i i'm 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 an imperfect follower and Mm. so it's always good to be with people who are uh, working at that Uh, so you don't so you don't feel so alone in your imperfection i don't feel so alone in my in my perfect followership thank you thank (laughs) you perfect yes thank you for inviting me to be uh, a guest it's a pleasure well, we are we're really grateful. And yeah, following uh, Jesus is a whole thing. It's a whole embodied thing. It requires yeah. some feet to follow, but yeah. our hearts don't always feel like it. Like we can feel so disintegrated. And mm-hmm. that kind of mm-hmm. disintegration just really rips at the core of who we are to think mm-hmm. the shame that comes with it. As you all know, um, your book, The Soul of Shame, you wrote that in what year? What How, how many years uh, ago? Soul of Shame uh, was published in 2015. Okay. And would you say that book was one that kind of pivoted things in, in some ways for you? I just, I just know you came across my radar more as that book came online. Like it felt like that one was one where the church was willing to talk about some things. Uh, for, for probably a, a range of reasons, many of which I'm not even aware of, uh, that book has had, has, has continued to not just have, but even gain traction. Yeah, um, I, I think it's maybe maybe because uh, shame is just not ever going to go away. It's never, yeah. you know, it never, it never. I mean, unfortunately, it never gets old. Yeah. And um, so that, that may be why. And uh, and that book continues to seem to land with folks in a way that has been helpful. It really does. And now you have a book out called The Deepest Place. This, it's coming in yeah, it's coming in August. Yeah. Coming right, in August, right. right. So yeah. when they hear this, we're probably real close to it, guys. So if you haven't heard about it, this is his latest book. And this book is that the message resonates with our community much because we always often talk about that Jesus says in John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble, you will have sorrow, you will have these things. But then take heart. 
So mm -hmm. we mm -hmm. have suffering, mm -hmm. we have trials. Yeah. What does yeah. that look like? So let's just, let me just ask you, why did you write this book? Why did this message feel like the thing to get off your chest? The, 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 deep, the deepest place. Yes, the deepest yeah. place. Yeah, I think, um, I think there were, uh, you know, as I say to folks, uh, anything that I, uh, the, the work that I do from the, the, the written work that I do uh, is being generated from what's happening in the office, in, in, the, in the consultation room with patients. So it's, it's, uh, it, it comes from really, from real embodied spaces where I'm, or we're sitting with people who are wrestling with their lives and their demons and with each other and so yes. forth. And, um, uh, there are two things that jumped off of the, uh, page as it were of these confessional communities that we run in particular. And, and one is that, uh, you know, I, I had a moment some time ago when there was a patient who's been working at things really effectively, but over a period of about 25 years. Mm. And uh, they had a moment in which they were lamenting the fact that as they were continuing to move, as we might say, further up and further into the presence of God and the kingdom of God and so forth, yeah. that, they can, that they continued to have parts of their life that were still driving them crazy. Yes. Uh, and like, why is it that I still have this thing that continues to gnaw at me? Why do I still have a family that continues to behave badly? Mm. Uh, and, and why am I still affected by? It? Why do I still have these things? This sense, like she was exasperated with herself, mm. and it became evident that there is a certain suffering mm. that is included in what it means to uh, be on this narrow road that you enter by a narrow gate. Mm -hmm. And uh, we will be on in that. We'll be on until, until the new heaven and new earth appears in its fullness. And so there is a certain, what I wanted to speak to was, and to name yeah. that suffering is a thing that we are, we, that we must contend with. And it really is clear from the biblical narrative, even though we don't like this message, uh, that suffering is not God's idea, but it is one of the primary ways that God uses to shape us and to form us. I think this is a really bad idea, frankly. <laughs> like, I, I think, like, I, I would love, to, I think God, I would love to have a, like, frank conversation with God about, like, the particular tools. He, I, I could come up with a whole range of other tools that he could use. For sure. In my opinion, it would be more effective. I, I, I'd be much more willing to cooperate with other tools that he might want to bring into the, you know, into the room to work on things. Um, but the other thing is the other thing I think that is that 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 is impressed that is pressed upon me has to do you know we talk about this notion of um, that, that if that's true about the notion of the biblical uh, approach to suffering that it is real it is true and it is one of the things that God is using to make us more like Jesus yeah to share in His sufferings and so therefore feel not just that he, we get that He knows what it's like for us to be us but yeah. that we then know what it's like for Him to be Him. Ooh. And this is what's transformational that I, when I have a felt sense that Jesus doesn't just get me, but that he's saying to me, like, dude, like, I'm just so glad that you now have a what, like, have a sense of what it's like for me to be me. Wow. Wow. When I can do that. Like, it's like, oh my gosh, the king is saying I'm like him, even in my sufferings. Yes. That is running juxtaposed with our living in a culture. And, and this is not new. This is, this is as old as, this is as old as the, you know, the third chapter of Genesis. But we have our own particular spin on it in our current cultural moment. 
And that is uh, that we want to practice believing uh, that uh, not only, you know, suffering should either be something we avoid or that we eradicate, but we at all costs will, uh, we now have, we are practicing believing that suffering shouldn't be happening. Hmm. Woo, that is a word, yes. It shouldn't, it, it should not be happening. And so we have moved from, for instance, we've moved from helicopter parenting to lawnmower parenting, right? So now <laughs> we were doing everything. Lawnmower parenting. I haven't heard that. What's lawnmower parenting? Well, helicopter parenting is the notion that you are hovering over your right. child. Making sure yeah. your child. Lawnmower parenting is you're in front of your child, mowing the lawn, oh. cutting the grass, making sure that oh. in advance oh. or in advance of your child to make sure I'm going to, I mean, the story that I heard not long ago recently from a local high school where parents are calling the teachers in advance of a child coming to school saying, I need you to meet my child. At the these are, these are not elementary school kids. These are high school students. I need you to, would you be willing to meet my daughter at the front door so that you can walk her to her class? Oh. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and this is not a girl with special needs. This is, this is a girl who's anxious and okay. But I mean, this I'm, I'm saying like, and, and of course we want to be, we want to care for all, all the appropriate things. But it means that the tail is wagging the dog here. Yeah, yeah. And the message that I'm sending to the, the message that the world sends is that you should be able to do anything and everything you can do to eliminate not just suffering, but the potential for suffering in your life mm -hmm. such that when it happens, um, I interpret it as there, there being kind of like a, a, a wrinkle in the matrix. There's a problem with the world that I'm suffering. And so therefore I need now the world to make the changes it needs to make. I don't, I shouldn't have to accommodate to this. I want the world to accommodate so that I don't suffer at all. And so this is what, you know, this, this is what the lawnmower parent is doing. It's asking the world to accommodate actually not just to their child. They're asking the world to accommodate to them because if their child suffers and the parent doesn't know it's what to do with this, this is really about the parent. And so, it is important to know that, like, I, I think that when you read the Christian, you know, the New Testament text in particular, but also the Old Testament text, when, you, when we read the text, uh, we read a text that uh, is very in touch with the world as it really is. Mm. Uh, and it is it is talking about a world, at the world as it exists, while we are trying to create a plastic pretend world. Oh, yeah, right. Well, um, and so uh, we, it, I think it's important for us to know that for us to uh, live for our, in, in a way such that our healing will be, such that our shame will be healed. Yes. It is important to recognize that that will, that journey will necessarily still include suffering. Yes. Uh, we say that suffering happens for three reasons, things that happen to us that really do happen to us that yes. shouldn't. Right. Or things that should happen that don't. We suffer right. for those reasons. Things. So those are things that are out of our control. Things, most of our suffering actually happens because of what we do to ourselves. Oof, That's the yeah. second thing. And then there is this third category, the suffering that I'm going to encounter and endure because I am actively turning toward the light. Ooh, persecution, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and persecution, but also, you know, it's, it's the suffering that comes when I, in following Jesus, decide I'm no longer going to live in the same family system, according to the rules of my family system that, you know, wants me to take care of somebody else's stuff 
Mm. All the things that I'm going to have to depart from my family system. This is John chapter nine, in which we have, you know, it first looks like the story of a blind man, when in mm. fact, it's a story of a blind community. Mm. And this is a guy who is healed and immediately all hell breaks loose, right? Yes. He starts to, like at one level, you know, his he might have said, look, my life was just completely fine if y'all had just left me alone. And so we see that healing becomes this disruptive technology, right? It is, yes. it is a disruption. Yeah. Um, and so this blind man now begins to suffer. Yeah. Yeah. As a response to his receiving his sight. Gosh, that's like, good word. yeah. Like yeah. that, like that world is messed up. Like what, you know, like what, how is it that he's now suffering because he's received his sight? Mm. And so it is important for us to recognize that even in our suffering, the way that we approach it, uh, that, that the biblical narrative has a word for us about this that has everything to do with the community of faith and how it is that in the middle of our suffering, that hope is not a thing that is just going to be dropped into our lap. It is a thing that we must form. Yeah. We must create it. We must construct it by, by walking into our suffering and looking at it square in the face in the context of community. Yes. Such that not only can we be transformed by the suffering, but that our comprehension of what suffering is and is about in God's hands is also transformed. It's so fascinating. You met just that kind of uh, subjective look at society now saying no one should suffer. <laughs> and so we're all kicking the can of suffering down the road that no one should suffer. And we're, it, it creates this cloud of anxiety, this cloud of at some point the shoe has to drop, but it's not going to drop on me. And then it's this is, you know, sideways, we're acting out sideways in some way because of avoiding the suffering. So then my question, Kurt, is what's the role of the church? Because if the world is lawn mowing and doing all these things to keep away, what is our role at the church? What do we need at the church level for there to be some impact to the world of mm -hmm. how the message mm -hmm. of suffering. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, you know, in some respects, it begins with our willingness to be with each other's suffering. Wow. Like I'm not trying to impact the world as much as I'm trying to just live with my brothers and sisters. I mean, Jesus That's basically, weakness. Jesus yes. said, look, the world's going to know that you're my disciples by the way you treat one another. That's how the world's going to know. <laughs> Uh -huh. The world doesn't need you. The world, you know, as you go, proclaim the good news. And the good news is that because of Jesus, everything is going to be put to right. But that would also require a complete transformation of how I think and live my life if I want to live in the real world that's coming. Mm. Uh, but part of what that means, and and the most intimate and most kind of down in the mud kind of recapitulation of Genesis chapter two, that God formed the man from the mud of the earth. Like we're going to be mm. the most the most intimate way that we form new creation and live out the new creation is what I do with my brothers and sisters in the church. That's good. So what does it mean for me to be a presence, be part of a community that is a presence for your suffering? And how can you be that for me? And that includes, that in, my, my suffering includes not just the cancer that I have or my child is an addict or, yeah. you know, my unfinished business with my parents. It also includes the feelings I'm having toward you right now, mm. you know, the you that sits in the pew next to me that I, and I don't like you, or you've done something to hurt my feelings, or you think politically different than I do, or you do or don't believe in global warming, or you, what your sexual right. habits are, or all the things 
what does it mean for me to be in the room with you and to bring the parts of me that are afraid to, to come into the room because I'm afraid you're going to want to have nothing to do with me. And there is a certain suffering that I carry with that because of you, <laughs> you know, my, my brother or sister in the church. Like we, we, like we are, like we become the source of our suffering. And so we have the opportunity to name these things yes. and to say, and to say, uh, whatever it is that you bring into the room, I'm not leaving. Gosh, whatever part, whatever part of you that comes into the, like, I'm not leaving. We're, and we're going to name this. We're going to be present with this. You're going to name, I'm going to name, and we are going to trust the spirit is going to do the work that it's going to do. This does not mean, by the way, um, I'll, 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 there, there are particular things that we, we might say, this does not mean this is not to be equated with whatever it is that anybody thinks about anything is uh, fully and behaviorally okay. Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that. Mm -hmm. um, sitting with someone suffering does not mean, for instance, uh, if you are in leadership, I mean, or like, you know, sitting with someone's experiences and feelings in which they continue to behave in a way that is inconsistent with the way we are called to live does not mean that we say, you know, whatever you want to do is fine. Right. We're not saying that because we might even say, because you want to continue to do what is what you want to do, which is not okay. I, with great love and with, with great loving kindness say, um, that's not acceptable. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to get you please, please stay, be with me. But the, like, it's not okay for you to continue to, behave this way or to treat us this way or whatever, like, but I'm going to say that to you with loving kindness. And right. so, yeah. Okay. I want to interrupt there. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. My heart is beating so fast. This is so good. Um, <laughs> what are the practices? How does a person show up to a table and I don't agree with you? I don't, I'm not affirming what you choose, but I also choose to love you. I, I choose to value, honor you as an, as the, the image bearing, uh, mm -hmm. person you are. Mm -hmm. why, why is it that, what are we lacking to get there or what's, I don't know. I guess I'm just asking, what does that look like to be in that environment of we we're very different and I'm, I, my preference would be for something else, but I right. still want to be at this table with you. I'm not sure if you know this or not, but just in case you don't, right now, The Body Revelation, my book that released in June, is available everywhere and anywhere. Pick it up to learn how to metabolize pain, banish shame, and connect to God with your whole self. If your body has felt more like a problem to be solved than a mystery and a beauty to be discovered, then you need to pick up this book. Everything we do on this podcast, back at Revelation Wellness, over on the website, in the app, is pointing you towards this greater message of healing. But before we can receive good news with all of who we are, we've gotta be willing to look at some of the bad news. We can do this, friends. This is why we train. We can hold the tension. So I sure hope you will pick up a copy of The Body Revelation, and let's keep training. What are the practices? How does a person show up to a table and I don't agree with you? 
I don't, I'm not affirming what you choose, but I also choose to love you. I, I choose to value, honor you as an, as the, the image bearing, uh, mm -hmm. person you are. Mm -hmm. why, why is it that, what are we lacking to get there or what's, I don't know. I guess I'm just asking, what does that look like to be in that environment of we we're very different and I'm, I, my preference would be for something else, but I right. still want to be at this table with you. Right. Well, I mean, again, I think that this is not, you know, uh, how it is that we are at a point where that's difficult for us to do yes. uh, has been a function of not just what we think theologically and so forth. It's uh, a, it, it is a function of the progression of 500 years of modernity. It's the mm -hmm. progression of things that Charles Taylor in a secular age would write about what Carl Truman writes about uh, notions of the larger story that we believe is true about the world that is being told uh and the voices that tell that story are not biblical voices they've wow, yeah. come from all, a range of different people and one of the out one of the one of the in our current moment that is uh that, that we're living with the result of how a particular story has been told is the story in which we believe that no one uh should have the authority to say anything to anyone with authority. Now, we don't live like that. So, for instance, if I'm driving down uh, Langston Boulevard here in Arlington uh, and I and I kind of like end up running 42 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour zone uh, and, the, and the police officer pulls me over, I'm not going to say, I don't really believe you have the authority to do that. I'm just going to keep going. Oh, no, 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 no. Like, I'm Goodness. like, no, no, I, no, I'm going to I'm going to live as if somebody else has the authority to tell me what to do. There are many respects in which we still live as if authority is a real thing. And there are certain people who have authority, like we. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, at, the, and at the same time, wow. uh, I mean, this has been written about and other people are, who are far more uh, uh, far more informed than I am about these things. But the whole notion that we live in an age in which there is such uh, great institutional doubt and anxiety. Right. We have doubt in our institutions across the board. So government, church, school. And it is we, we live in an age in which uh, what, what Taylor would call expressive individualism, this sense that I, as an individual, am the final arbiter mm. of my destiny. Mm. And mm. so but but the church actually isn't like that. The church is a real institution because, as we say, uh, every institution in the world that exists, that has ever existed, whether you're talking a school, a church, a business, government, is modeled after the family. Wow. The family is yeah. the primal interpersonal neurobiological institution from which everything else is modeled. And by that, uh, the family has authority in it. Oh, yeah, I did. I, you know, ideally, technically, it, it may not be in, in many families, it, it may not be too but many. Most most the, the most modeled families are like two a two person, two parent families. Yes. yes. Who are working together. Yes. And they decide where we're going on vacation. Yeah. And now they may ask their 17, 13 and 11 year old children like oh, here's some things that we're thinking about vacation. What do you think? And at the end of it, the, they give their input. But at the end of the day, mom and dad are making the decision. Yeah. And there is an authority that is accepted. And this is the way 
Yes. Because like children need this, we they know that you you don't. So we we get that we don't have to belabor that. But the point is, is that it is we are unable to look the the idealism that there was such a thing as complete and utter democracy in ancient Greece. Greece like that's just not true. Yeah. Historically, it's not it's not true. There are certain numbers of people who were allowed to, but not everybody got to be part of that democratic movement. Yeah. Yeah. Right, slaves didn't get right. Yeah. So the point being that we are kind of at the uh, we are at a particular point in which uh, both from a social messaging standpoint, a government messaging standpoint, and so forth. But then the notion that we that I as an individual am mm -hmm. the final arbiter mm -hmm. of the world mm -hmm. um, means mm -hmm. that. God. And 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 that is the dominant story that is even telling the story within the church. That's good. That nobody should be able to tell me how to live my life, <laughs> especially when it comes to certain things like sexual ethics and gender and blah, 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 blah. Like I shouldn't be able to do that. Hmm. Certain things that were like, that don't really cost us anything. Like, sure, you can tell me about that. I'm happy to cooperate. But the reason I cooperate is because I also want to do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's in that, in that, in that way, authority is kind of more like a vapor. Yeah. Then we have certain churches that react to this by becoming fairly authoritarian. And there's a whole boatload of trouble. That's right. With that. Yes. Right. And, and, and like it, the, the unspeakable horrors that the that, that people, but also like that's also not new, right? Jesus said to the Pharisees, you go to the trouble to make sure that people keep the Sabbath and then people do this and this and this. But then your parents who don't have enough food to live on, you're like, sorry, can't help you. <laughs> like you strain a cam you strain a gnat and let the camel walk in the door. Yeah. And so like it's not like this is new. Like it, it is it is to be human, but it is our particular moment of this. And so uh but what I would say is that the whole notion of shame and the whole notion of attachment processes and so forth, this I think is helpful. This helps inform mm -hmm. what the biblical narrative has been telling yes, us. Yes, yes. Yeah. It helps inform and, and helps us recognize that in order for us to flourish, we yes. actually, it re requires authority to be in my life, yes. including authority that will tell me things and will help reveal things to me that I don't want you to reveal. Wow. And my shame is part of what drives my not wanting you to reveal this. Yes. But if we're doing our work well, we can say, actually, you, uh, there will be someone, Lisa, who needs you to yes. be the authority in her life, yes. his life. Yeah. Who can reveal things that are hard yes. without doing it shamingly. Yes. And that's where growth happens. It's when someone pulls the curtain back on the parts of us that we don't like, where we're then going to be have demands placed on us to do life differently. Yes. But done so in a way in which nobody's shaming me. And I'm going to have to work through that. Yes. I mean, this is, you know, this is the fourth page of the Bible. This is chapter four, mm. where God says to Cain, uh, why has your count like, okay, this has happened. It's true. You have a test before you. Mm. Yes, your brother, I, I've acknowledged your brother's sacrifice. I have not acknowledged yours. And you're like, you're, you're downcast. And mm -hmm. it is a test for you. Yes. Is it not true that if you do well, if you do well, 
Will you not also be elevated? Will you not also? Yes. Right. Be like your will your countenance not also be brought forward and brought up brought forward. And it's a test for Cain to say, like, oh, will God's love and generosity, will there be enough for me too? Yes. And then God says, but sin is crouching at your door like an animal, mm. just like it was for your parents. There was an animal in the garden. Mm. Sin is crouching at your door like an animal. Mm. And your job is to master it. Your parents didn't master mm -hmm. the animal in the garden. Mm -hmm. You have an opportunity to do something different. And if you do, you will become more than who you are. And don't you think that's what suffering, as much as we don't like it, it provides this cue opportunity of I can make a choice here. This does not feel good neurobiologically. Yep. This is sending off chemicals of fear in my brain that I should run for cover. But there's a mm -hmm. moment there if we can identify I'm that suffering isn't that I've sinned or that something's wrong, that this is just, I'm feeling this. Now I can make a choice in which way I will, will choose to go. Totally. It's, it, it is totally the case. Which it is totally that, the case. Which in that case, suffering, this, how do we help people unmask suffering to actually see it's, it's a tool. It's, it's a, you know, I, I work with bodies and, mm -hmm. and so how do bodies grow? with tension there's we actually work against gravity so we can be upright and the lord in terms of gravity that's what actually helps me to be upright even though i feel it and that's why i need to lay down at night because i can only hold it for so long it's tension so if we are able to recognize it more as this is just part of the hum human experience then we don't run from it and and make messes so right and i and i would say and i would say to our listeners to the folks who are benefiting from the work that you do with them mm. and the support that you're offering in the body work that you do mm. my guess is that uh, that that they would say oh yeah she is helping us like i'm i'm yes. able to i'm able to do this now i i have a certain there is a certain distress there is a certain uh painful portion of work that I'm going to have to pass through that only I can pass through. But if she's in the room, I can do this. Wow. Yeah. And I will do this. It belongs to me, but not me by myself. I'm not doing it by myself. And then once I have done that, you also have the option opportunity to remind you, like, I want you to pause and I want you to pay attention to what you've just done. Yeah. I don't mean just that you're standing upright. I mean, I want you to pause and recognize that you have passed through a really hard place. I want you to review this. Amen. I want you to be yeah. mindful of this yeah. because there will come another time when you're gonna have your next round of this. And I want you to know in the same way, I will be with you then like I was here. And I want you to know you can do hard things. Yeah, yeah. It does and feel like it does, it's a, a privilege to be with people in their physical reality for me because it sends messages pain is real we feel that but when it can be turned on to i um i'm not i'm gonna make it i can mm -hmm. breathe i can ground i can find something and if it's even someone in the room with me it is that tangible demonstration of of a helper of i'm yeah. here to, to help you to strengthen you to to move from strength to strength not 
to pummel you into submission, which right. goes back to that authority thing. Because if we have unhealthy authority, if, if there was an unhealthy person in the room throwing weights at someone or, you know, putting them beyond what they're capable of for their own ego stroke or whatever, unhealth, mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. that, that would clearly backfire, which is why I go back to the church, Kurt, where I ask like, what, what, what do we need to do? Okay. If you don't want this aired, you can say strike that. If you were going to start a church community, <laughs> mm -hmm. okay, what would be like your, I would, this is what I would want to see happen mm -hmm. among people mm -hmm. who come together. Mm -hmm. And you know, we're two or more gathering yeah. in a sense, yeah. there's a church there, but what would you, what would you want to see happen? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, uh, say, so, uh, okay. Um, it we've often said we, we do this work, uh, of what we call confessional communities in, in this work in, in, uh, mm. in the book, in the book that followed the soul of shame, uh, the title of the soul of desire that came out in 2022, we talk an awful lot about confessional communities and what their purpose is and so forth and how they create this space for the creation and curation of beauty and goodness mm, in the that. world. And one of the things that we discover in these confessional communities is, uh, you know, we've often said if we were to, they, they meet for 90 minutes weekly. And if we were to begin every confessional community with two, and, and they're, they're groups of, you know, six to eight people plus the two therapists that are working. If there were, uh, if we began each of those with kind of two worship hymns, Mm. And we and we paused in the middle for a five to ten minute reflection and homily on a text. And at the end, we had the Eucharist. We'd have church. Love that. Okay. And 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 most of what would be happening in the course of a ninety minute church service, most of what would be happening would be the work of the Holy Spirit in the work of formation. Yes. That's what we would be doing. Yes um using processes of worship and text and the body and right yes. the eucharist right yes. um and so if you ask me like what would a church be like i would say it would be a collected uh, gathering of gatherings yeah in which yeah. your body wouldn't get out beyond about 150 people wow. and your group would have about you know each each and that and that group would have its opportunity for people to be weekly gathering yes uh, for the purpose of formation and for the purpose of uh telling their stories more truly uh in line with the gospel story that is the one that is drawing all of our stories into a truer place but we would do this by naming everything that's happening not just in our lives outside the church but what would be happening in our lives in this group of people that we are experiencing with one another so that i don't just go I, I move from talking about my marriage, talking about my work, talking about my family extended, so forth, to talking up with you across the room about what it is that you said last week that really pissed me off. Gosh, go. And, 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 you know, to be quite honest, because this has also happened, I would also be talking in the room. This is where things get really, now you can decide if you want to keep this or not. <laughs> but, you, but you but you but you read you read Not about sure. it you read about it in the soul of desire we also talk about um what happens in the room when uh one of the men in the room finds one of the other women in the room who he's not married to to be really attractive 
Wow. Yes. And we say like, gosh, Sarah, I have to say like, I think about you a lot because I'm just, I'm like so attracted because these are the conversations that we have in these rooms. And I will tell you, because we don't have them like this, that we're having affairs in the church instead. Oh, I'm going to throw a shoe. Yes. Yes. Now yes. you don't, you don't have these conversations cavalierly. You don't have them. You have them very carefully. You have them with wisdom. You have them with guides. You have them um, board, board, properly bordered and boundaried in terms of how and who yes. and so forth and so on. Yes. Uh, people are not people are not like taking their clothes off and having sex in front of like eight yes. other people. We're not we're not yes. doing this. Yes. But as we say, look, anytime males and females are in the same room, sex is in the room. I don't care if you're at a football game. That's good. Right? Sex is in the room. And by the, I, I don't mean that people are like everybody's thinking about having intercourse. What I'm saying is this longing. Yes. To be cared for, to be connected, to be wanted. Yeah. To be to be seen as attractive. Uh, to be protected. It's in the we we it's in, I mean Genesis chapter two Sorry. verse twenty five and the husband and his wife were naked and unashamed standing on the precipice. Mm of growing into their being the king and queen. That's where, like, that is the eternity that is in every mm. person's body. There. And evil just wants to continue to exploit it. If we are uh, willing to name that we can't escape the eternity that has been placed in our hearts, which yes. means the eternity that's also been placed in my body. Yes. If I'm not willing to name it, it, like the animal in Cain's situation, is crouching, waiting to devour me. But it is in the naming of these spaces that we then can also enter into our suffering uh, in the way that Jesus entered into his suffering. I mean, notice uh, in Luke 24, when Jesus uh, says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Notice he doesn't say from the cross, I forgive you all because you have no idea what you're doing. He asks for help. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why does he need to ask God to forgive them? Like, why doesn't he do like, well, yeah. because like, you know, this is why Trinitarian theology, one of the reasons why it's such a big deal, because it really reminds us that even Jesus, as he says in the farewell discourse in John, in, you know, in John's gospel, where he says, like, even now I am not alone because the father is with me. Yeah. And when we read that portion in Matthew's gospel, father, you know, I, you know, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? We think, you know, there's all, you know, there's hymns and songs and mm -hmm. sermons preached about God, about Jesus being alone. We have no evidence in scripture. We have every evidence in scripture that Jesus was not alone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That when you took a look at that text in Matthew, this is Psalm 22, that he's, he's beginning Psalm 22. And in Matthew's gospel, Matthew, who's writing to Jews, would know that like he does in other parts of his gospel, that just the mentioning of the first part of certain scriptures is his way of assuming that the reader knows what he's talking about. And he's not just talking about the first line of Psalm 22. He wants to bring to the reader's mention the entire psalm. And when you get to verse 19, everything in the psalm changes. Hmm. Hmm. It turns and it becomes a psalm of vindication, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a psalm of comfort and confidence. But this is where Jesus is going. Mm -hmm. And in his suffering, uh, he is not by himself. Mm -hmm. And that's what enables him to do what he does.
And it is in the presence of, of, a, of a community that enable us to then enter into doing the hard things of like, no, I'm not going to do my addiction. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to look at porn. I'm not going to drink. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I, mm -hmm. all the things, what I am going to do is do something different because I'm being loved by you in this moment over and over and over and over again, including the parts of me that I hate the most. And I know that because I've brought them into the room, mm. which is an act of suffering of itself because like, I'm really afraid of what you're going to do when you see it. That's right. I'm, that's a lot of yapping. I'm, I'll stop. No, <laughs> so happy. this you're saying things that have not been said that I've, I've said that, that that's no one's talking about these things. It does feel there's a lot of theology. There's a lot of great biblical teaching. I'm so grateful for how much access we have to the word of God and the good theology, but we're not, it's not getting into the room. It's not getting into the body. It's not getting into, but I'm feeling this in my body. I'm experiencing sexual attraction. Or I'm experiencing mm -hmm. this hate of my body or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. which I just, mm -hmm. I think I'm contending so much for the honest conversations of we, we how do we embody this life of repentance and confession and regeneration and redemption in a way that is is real and so everything you're saying just hits on something that we we prize in this community of we do hard things kind of do hard conversations and i want to also just validate what maybe for our community as well so we we have um I love that confessional community. We, when we put people through um, the coaching and training, so we teach people these concepts to go out and help others who are hurting mm -hmm. with their bodies. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we uh, primarily women come through primarily mm -hmm. people generally think of fitness and coaching as a, it's a more of a female thing generally, but men show up. So we have a few men that will come through training every time for every hundred, we might have 10 men. And we're always so grateful that the men show up in the room, but we, um, we get kickback sometimes because the men want their own group. Like the men want, well, we just want the men's group because we put them in small groups as they're going through training mm -hmm. groups of 10. Mm -hmm. And we have through years have had people push one way or the other. And in my essence, I thought, I think it's okay for a male and a female to be in a circle. If we're talking about health and wholeness and the whole thing, what's going on mm -hmm. under some guidelines of there's some mm -hmm. facilitation, there's some mm -hmm. ground rules. Mm -hmm. I think this is right for us because in the beginning, male, female, if we're talking about a body, how do we co-labor? How do we co-reign together? Uh, and so we often get, there's just tension. People are like, I, men will show up and feel really, and I get it. They feel maybe outnumbered. There's more women. Women aren't sure of how the men's in the room. It's just really interesting when you put male, female into a small group. But in the end of it, after we've pushed through 10 weeks of training, whatever, however much time we go through, it is without a doubt, there's always some type of a breakthrough. There's always something where yeah. that, that, like you said, we bring the garden with us, that then mm -hmm. there's this, oh, I, I needed, as much as I was afraid of you being here, or I felt mm -hmm. fear being here, I now feel more whole because I confessed my fear. I confessed mm -hmm. my pain. I, I just, I, I, I do think it's something, it just validates yeah. a little bit of this tension that, yeah um, is needed in the church, but we don't know how to do. Yeah. Well, I think, um, this is where, uh, I think it can be really helpful to enter into a re, re revisiting and a meditation on, uh, the, 
Yeah, as, as our as our friends uh, Tim Mackey and John Collins at the Bible Project mm -hmm, would say, yeah. as he would say, right? There's uh, everything you need to know about humans. You can learn by reading the first four to six chapters of the Bible. It's true. Right, Every, everything you need to know is there. It's true. Um, one of the things that I noticed uh, is that this experience that you're describing, yes, um, is a revisitation of the second half of Genesis two okay. into the first third of Genesis three. Okay. So re it's a recapitulation of all that. This notion that uh, the first wound of the Bible takes mm -hmm. place in Genesis two. Mm -hmm. Right. Tell me Where which Adam, one. Yeah. It's, it's like Adam, like God puts him to sleep, but gives him a chest wound. Wow. That's right. Now it says that he closes up his flesh. The second wound of the Bible is one chapter later when the snake is talking to the woman. This is before any fruit gets eaten. And in the story that he tells the woman, he's indirectly wounding her while he talks about God. Mm. All right. He says, God doesn't want you becoming like him, which yeah. is just another way of saying, you're not actually nearly as important as you think you are. Mm -hmm. You're not really loved in the way that you think you are. Mm -hmm. The difference is the intention. The wound that Adam sustains is for the purpose of God to bring to him. The Hebrew word for this is the word that eventually out of which grows the word for city in the third, in the fourth chapter of Genesis, to bring for him a helpmate. And this word helpmate is not like a sous chef, is not like your 10-year-old who's helping you clean up the kitchen. Right, come on. It is, it is the helper that is then referred to in many of the Psalms, God is my helper, God mm -hmm. is my stronghold, God is yes. my fortress, yeah. that she is coming to be a bulwark for him and on his behalf in order for him to become more of who he's going to become and he's going to respond to this and so forth and so on and this is who we have standing at the end of genesis chapter two two and when we get to the conversation that the snake en enters into everything gets turned on its head adam says nothing mm -hmm. uh, and as it turns out um the snake mm -hmm. uh if, if you know you figure if we're gonna and, and and you know the metaphors are not lost on us right adam is formed from the mud soft pliable mm -hmm. eve is formed from bone mm -hmm. harder mm -hmm. tougher more durable mm -hmm. right this, this is i mean you look around like, like everybody does hard things everybody does hard things right but like like you look at the number of things that you know you know when you just look at like what women do I mean, but what's the hardest thing they got to do? They got to put up with men. Like they got to put like, right, okay. It's the hardest thing you got to do. You got to live with the other gender on the earth, right? Because you got to live in a world in which the other guys like us, we are the ones who are starting wars and filling prisons. Yeah, yeah. We're the ones who are the, like, we are the, we are the ones. It's not that women aren't violent. It's just a different way. And we are the ones that we, it makes it more obvious. But the, the point being that from the very beginning, there has been this tenuousness. When the snake enters wow. the picture, suddenly there is this rupture that's taking place, even in the conversation 
the rupture that's happening between the woman and the man. I don't, like, I, like, why is Adam like not talking? Mm. Why he's just going to kind of like stay to himself, and then and mm. and so it, because like, well, well, something's happening to my helper, mm. and I and I don't have what it takes to enter into this and say because it was his job to grow up into becoming something hmm. that he never grew up to become, mm-hmm. never grew up to be yet yeah, to become. And and so these what these communities do when men and women are together, yeah, uh, they are having to revisit their first parents, they're having to revisit the part of Adam and Eve that inhabit each one of us. Yes. And all the things that happen in, in the course of those two chapters. And that have been passed down generationally and particularly in each of our, like my parents, my parents' parents, and all those kinds of things. And we are given an opportunity to come to the table yes. and name the things that we want and name the things that we're afraid of um, so that our words become extensions of the longings of our physicality yeah so even when i'm sexually attracted to someone else you say yeah i'm like i think of you and i i'm like i i'm aroused so and he's like okay okay fair enough yeah and what's that telling you what is it that you want well i want to like i want to be in i want to take you to bed yeah because why yeah what are you what are you hoping for that to do like we all know that when you yes. know like, like, like sex is a, like it's a, it has its own rate limiting step. You have orgasm, you're done. You yeah. can't, like you can't just get back on and do it again in, in, in the next three minutes. <laughs> you can't do it. Right. It's got Recovery. a rate limiting step. Recovery right. needed. So, all right. Because what is it that you want that is beyond that? There you are. What, what, what is it representing that you really, really want? Wow. That even yeah. sex, that even the act of sex can't deliver on. It is not sustainable. It's built into the fabric of the creation that the creation itself is not sustainable. Only relationships are, and ultimately only the relationship with Jesus is. Yes. And everything that is beautiful and good and even arousing is pointing to our longing to be longed for without being consumed. And that makes suffering doable, endurable. That's it. I can endure for this. This is the great love. It's it. That's it. But if I don't name this, I end up acting it out just like Adam and Eve did, just Mm -hmm. like Cain did, Mm -hmm. just like eventually King David does with Bathsheba Mm -hmm. for all of his success. Mm -hmm. David had unfinished business. I mean, you read the first, you know, the opening scene about, about his own life, right? Like, hey, Jesse, bring your sons out and let's see who's going to get to be king. And like David isn't included. David isn't included. Right? There's all the storyline behind this, wow. yeah. or the whole thing. And so when we give people the opportunity to name these things, uh, we bring them into the room and we would say, like, w- wouldn't it be great if this is what church could do for us? We bring them into the room so that the Holy Spirit now is given access yes. to heal, to regenerate and recommission. We need that. We need that. Oh, my gosh. Let it be so, God. Help us. I, Kurt, I don't have, we're, I don't want to take up your whole day, but I could take up your whole day because I'm on the edge of my seat with the things that are getting manifested just through your words. The things we're not talking about, the things, the naming it, the mm-hmm. things we do need. So all I can say is keep doing what you're doing. Please keep mm-hmm. writing books so that I can have you back on and we can talk about the things you all, mm-hmm. everyone. I didn't even mm-hmm. get to like, mm-hmm more than half of my questions because <laughs> I was drawn into 
this is going somewhere. Let's go there. So hmm. thank you. Thank you for being here, Kurt. Um, oh, yeah. You're most, well, you're most welcome. It, 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 it is, uh, uh, I mean, thanks be to God for the work you're doing. You. I mean, I mean, just, just, I, 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 again, uh, to, to consider that what you're doing, uh, is not solving problems. Instead, what you're doing is creating outposts of beauty and goodness with yeah. your work and with the people that you're working with. I received that. That's a really cool thing. It's a gift. It, it is a joy to watch people come alive, fully yeah. alive, fully embodied, fully wanting more of, of what Jesus died to give. Yeah. It's, and yeah. I feel it's a gift. Okay. Yeah. Right on. Before you leave, we ask three simple, silly questions just on a, ask every guest this, uh, fat rapid fire coffee, tea, or kombucha. What's your go-to, uh, coffee, your coffee guy. Yeah, okay. but, yeah. But yeah, coffee, but I would say like, I, I qualify this. I'll just say it this way. Uh, I drink hot coffee. Ice cream is really what I do. It's wow. Most people would say what you're drinking is not coffee. It's like a little bit of coffee with lots of sugar and Kurt, half and half. That's, really what I do. Be, uh, that's a name for it. That's me. <laughs> a hot coffee ice cream. I've never thought yeah. about it. My husband looks at my coffee and goes, it's basically beige. It's light. Yeah. It's, it's, it's khaki beige. And then I put in, the, I agree with you on that. I need that. Yeah. Um, favorite way to move your body. Favorite way to embody? Uh, you know, I, I, will, I will say this. Uh, my favorite, uh, I have two ways. One, one, well, well, the way that I, uh, had, historically, that I moved my body the most was I, I grew up in a basketball playing family and okay. and played frequently, routinely, one to two times a week uh, up until about mm, five or eight years ago when I, you know, my knee just couldn't take it anymore. So that would be, that would be the category. Mm. So, so hooping would be the, the number one. Love that. I also have had, when I when I knew that those days were coming to an end, cycling is another thing that I like to do. And then I, you know, one of my favorite things to do, my wife and I, uh, more days than not in the course of a week, uh, walk together. Yes. It's just really uh, walking is just a really great thing. Just really it's a couple so things. So those are the that's what I do. that's what yes, I do. And I have the best walk and talks with people. I actually will take. Uh, some people I get the pleasure of personally working with. I don't get a lot of time to work personally with anyone anymore, but once in a while I'll work with someone personally. Favorite thing, take them. They'll be on a, they'll be over in Texas somewhere. I'm like, let's schedule a walk and talk. Yeah. And I'm actually still training them in their body. Can you feel your feet? Can you breathe? Like mm -hmm. just kind of embodying as we're walking and then we'll talk and then we'll drop into the body and then we'll ask the Holy Spirit something. It's just, I think it's such an opportunity. It's a a gateway yeah. into a deeper thought and deeper heart space. So yeah, love yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. And then final question, what do you want one people to know? If there was only one thing you could say about Jesus, what would you want people to know? Oh my gosh. It's all you one do is thing. one thing. You get one uh, thing. Uh, mm. Mm. I have, uh, it, it has been <laughs> brought to my attention. <clears throat> in some of my writing uh, that I will uh, write uh, one sentence that ends up being almost an entire paragraph, mm. which means you end up saying a lot uh, in one breath mm. uh, when answering the question of like what one thing I would say. Um, I would say, mm. uh, hmm. I would say that I, um, I cannot 
I, I don't, I don't, ha- I would say that I don't have words to express the depth of my longing uh, and my uh, 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 trepidation mm. at being. Uh, finally fully in his presence to think of it is both exhilarating and terrifying we'll end it right there (laughs) thank you thank you for being here thank you you're welcome my pleasure Friends, we hope this episode blessed you. And if you love it as much as we did, would you share it with a friend? And be sure to swipe up on the show notes. You will find all the links mentioned in the episode. Let's keep the conversation going. You can leave us an audio message and tell us how this episode sparked something in your heart. We would love to hear from you and hear what you think. Thank you for being here and be sure to connect with us soon in all the places. Peace.